if you get to the center of town and you look to the right and you look up because it's a valley, that's the Pigeon Forge Cemetery. It's on a bluff overlooking everything. Mm. So I don't know how many tens of thousands of tourists saw us up there like digging at dusk in the cemetery. Um, They're like, but we were. fucking rednecks are <laughs> digging up a body. Our guest today is an award-winning arts marketer based in Detroit, Michigan. He and his husband, Matt, are proud pet papas to four senior animals. Together, they chronicle their adventures on social media as the accidental house husbands. Fun fact, today's guest was, as a baby, briefly related to Dolly Parton by marriage. That is some six degrees of Dolly that I can't get enough of. Another little piece of trivia is that we went to college together. Please help me welcome my old friend, Tommy Carr. Hi there. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. <laughs> I have been listening to the episodes and have been so appreciative of them just because of the recent stuff that's been happening in, in our life with me and my husband. I just want to thank you guys for having us out there. Oh, you're welcome. And I'm. we said from the beginning, if this helps even one person in some way, that it's all worth it. So I'm glad to hear that. Well, there's our one person. We can shut it down. <laughs> That's a wrap. Lunch. And we got it. Done. Ah, there's so much left at craft services. <laughs> um, but it has been so kind of humbling and enriching to hear that. Even if there's a guest that you don't necessarily relate to or love, there's something there that you'll be able to go, oh, oh yes, I remember that. Or that's what it's like. Yeah. Human story is always just the way that we find each other and relate to each other. Yeah. So that being said, if you're ready whenever you're ready and however you want to tell it, however it unfolds, we'd love to hear your, your story. Sure. So we came to Michigan about five years ago, five years ago, Oof. four years ago. I'm losing track. Well, anything pre-COVID is like, what? I know. It's like the before times. Yes. Uh, we had come uh, in January, like the holidays, December, January, to visit family. And we were living in North Carolina at the time. His parents were getting older. And we were like, we need to, we need to get home. You know, we can go somewhere else later, but we need to be home for, for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And at the time, we were like, let's come up with our five-year plan to get us there. Because five years seems like that's easy. That's forever. But we were there in five months. Sort of by fate and by luck, I don't know, because during that period of us trying to decide how were we going to get home and what are we going to do, how are we going to make that transition, what are we going to do for work, uh, my husband Matt, his mom was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. She was, at the time, I guess, late 50s, early 60s, so young. So young. It was such a sudden parallel to my own mother passing in 2008 from cancer as well. Looking at my mother-in-law, I literally saw my mother. Mm -hmm. She had withered away to nothing. All that was left was the skin and the bones. Mm -hmm. That's the last vision I had of my mom. Mm -hmm. And so while those things had been sort of like swimming around in my brain for a couple of years, like, oh, I recognize this, I recognize this. And while I had felt sort of privileged or is not the right word, but I felt sort of calm about it that others didn't because I had gone through it and we sort of knew what was coming. In my, in my mind, it's like layering two photos on top of each other and I could see my mom laying there on top of oh, wow. Matt's mom, Mary. Mm -hmm. And it just sort of shook me and I was like, oof, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. I thought, I've got this. I've done it. I've been through it. Like, you think once you've done that, once you've had a mother pass, like, or a father or any caregiver, you're like, that's the hardest thing I will ever have to do. I survived it mm -hmm. and I got to the other side. And it's like, oh crap, I didn't slay the giant. Right. You know, there's more giants on the horizon. Yeah. You never quite get through it, even though you, no. you think, okay, I've dealt with it. I have a healthy relationship with this moment in time now. But yeah. something can come up that for lack of a better word triggers it and you're seeing it from a whole different perspective that you hadn't blocked yourself off from mm -hmm. yet 
it's like it slips through a crack in the wall and and there yeah, you are. it's like a little piece of it just gets through and you're just like oh and you get that same like you've been punched in the chest like collapsed in on yourself and at the same time trying to be there for matt who's never been through this before mm-hmm. and who's incredibly close to his mom both of his parents you know who's unique in the current world where both of his parents have been together since they met and had him and his younger sister. But yeah, just that, like, I'm invincible. I'm going to be here and I'm going to be the, the bolster that keeps Matt supported while he goes through this. And then to feel those little, like, oh, there's a piece of it. It's gone. Oh, and you just feel like little crumbling pieces away as you're trying to be the, the stanchion that keeps things in place. Mm-hmm. When you say a crumbling away, is that of your own, what you perceive to be your own strength of getting through yeah. your own mother's death? Yeah. Yeah. To You see, it's so weird that, you know, I think about my mom's passing as this like marker in time mm-hmm. yeah. where I fundamentally changed who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I became a person who was no longer willing to accept BS. Mm-hmm. That sense of, of strength, of like armor, like I built this up. And I'm going to carry somebody through and and suddenly you're like, oh, I'm only like three quarters solid. Yeah. Okay. I need to, I have to deal with this so I can keep being a hundred percent solid for somebody else. Somebody else. Yeah. Can you talk about your mom for a little bit? Just tell us about your relationship with her and what she was like. Yeah. She was, I mean, she was my best friend all growing up. Mm -hmm. I was a Navy brat, so I'll probably get teary. When I was very little, like when I was born, my mom and dad had only been married for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was, you know, he was a, I guess a hippie, like a <laughs> 70s hippie, like <laughs> post hippie. <laughs> yeah, post hippie. My mom had always wanted to be a hippie, but she was too young for it. I mean, mm-hmm. they were just a year apart from each other, but they really like championed that hippie vibe <laughs> uh, up until I was born. And suddenly they were like, okay, we have to get rid of like, the long hair and now we have to cut ourselves down and look like suburban Americans. Mm. My mom was a constant through everything I did my entire life. Mom was always there. Mom was who picked me up from school. Mom was who I expected to see when I got home off the bus. Like mm. she was the anchor that centered everything in my familial universe. My dad joined the Navy when I was maybe two. And so every two three years, maybe four, if we had like a long stint somewhere, I was constantly having to make new friends. Yeah. So again, mom was constant. And I had two younger brothers that came along. And no matter what, like if they were in school, if they were in sports, if they were doing this, uh, if I was working the concession stand at the sports, because I don't drink sports, um, <laughs> <laughs> mom was a constant. My parents had a very, very terse, taut, like uncomfortable relationship. I Mm. think that there was, well, I don't think, I know. I mean, I grew up with it. I I saw a lot of selfishness coming from my dad's side, Mm. which was particularly hurtful with him being gone so much. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you're going to come in for this weekend or this week, and you're going to be this sort of like ogre. Mm -hmm. You're in our space. Like, what are you doing? Oh, yeah. So my mom was always my, like, she was my knight in shining armor and I was the damsel in distress. Hmm. She would come to my defense. She would say, no, you go in your room. I'm going to go deal with this. Deal with your father. I won't go too much in my dad because it's not worth it. It was an unpleasant growing up experience under his thumb. Hmm. Whereas when he was gone, it was me and my mom and my brothers. It was like arts and crafts day every day, play day. Like, let's go do this. Let's go explore a place. She was also sort of an oral history person that told us about our family history. And it's like, oh, your great-grandfather was a blacksmith. And we actually have a, a, a nail from his shop, the last one that he ever made, hmm. that we have that's with a horseshoe that's allegedly from, <laughs> this is so weird, such a weird direction, a horseshoe from Emperor Hirohito oh. horse, because my great-uncle was one of the four or five like main generals with Patton and MacArthur and that ended World War II. Wow. So we have this mythical horseshoe with with my great grandfather's nail. So just to illustrate like how important family and family history and stuff was to my yeah. mom. Um she was always very independent. Again, my dad wasn't around that much. And when he was, it wasn't fun. Mm-hmm. 
so my mom had to effectively be a single parent with three boys and every three years having to find a new job because we got relocated. Mm. And when I was 14 or 15, she was like, this is enough. We're not doing this. We're going to, we're going to move home to Tennessee. You three boys are going to go through high school in the same place. We're going to be around family and we're going to reestablish our, our family unit. And we were like, great. Because while there are wonderful things that I got from being a Navy brat and having to move and become adaptable and chameleon-like, generally it's not something that I would be like, oh, yeah, you should really think about this for your kids. It's a great experience. <laughs> yeah. They're terrific for their mental health. <laughs> Super great. I mean, the, the years of therapy, uh, I mean, they might, they might balance each other out. But... Yeah. Now, talking about the, the dynamic with your dad being <laughs> gone and then coming back, was it difficult for yourself and your brothers, or do you feel that the brunt of it was coming onto you being the oldest and different? I think they, they did get some, but the brunt was on me, mm-hmm. and that was very clear, and it's more certain today. <laughs> ah. My two brothers keep a relationship with my dad. I do not. Right. Okay. We decide we're going to move back to Tennessee, and then it's a question of, is dad coming with us? And she's like, well, he's going to keep doing his Navy thing. And that when he's off, he'll come home to Tennessee instead of going to like whatever Navy housing that we were in. Right. Well, that lasted a couple of years. Hmm. And then my parents were just like, all right, that, this is, this is ridiculous. This isn't working. And my mom had been very nervous about telling my dad she wanted a divorce. Right. Um, she wasn't interested in pursuing anybody. She was just like, I want out. Like this is, I've not been happy. She was not a super religious person, but she was spiritual. She knew that our energy can't go away. It just right. has to transform or move into like go somewhere. So she would sometimes pray, not to a specific thing, but she would pray to like my grandmother. And she'd say, mom, um, for this instance where she was thinking about telling my dad they want, she wanted a divorce, she prayed to my uh, mama and said, I need I need your help. I, I want to do this, but I'm scared. You know, I, I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know how he's going to act. And the next day, my dad was away on a deployment. I was like, what do they call it? It's not a cruise. <laughs> <laughs> deployment cruise. It's got like a Mai Tai. He's like, <laughs> uh, she said the next day, my dad had called her and said, oh my gosh, I had the weirdest experience last night. She's like, what are you talking about? And he said, I had gotten into my bunk. He said, I was getting ready to lay down. He said, and I felt a depression on it as if somebody sat down. Mm. He goes, and I just got the weirdest sense that your mother was with me. (gasps) And she goes, Jerry, I want a divorce. Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. Yeah. And he goes, what? She's like, yeah, this, this, this is done. Oh, wow. She called to the ancestors and they Mm -hmm. delivered. Literally. Yeah. Mamma showed up. Nice. Um, so they got divorced. How old were you at this point? At this point, I think I had just turned, I was maybe 18. Maybe I was just turning 19. Okay. Um, I had just come out to my mom. That's a whole different podcast that we can talk about at one point. That was a very <laughs> embarrassing situation. Um, involved wait, a lot okay, of alcohol. wait, 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 wait. Involved a lot of alcohol. I heard that part. <laughs> but also, I have to. We can cut it out if Tommy doesn't want it in there. But uh, can you please, side note, tell about coming out on National Coming Out Day in in your class? How that how that played out? Oh, when outed me? What? Yeah, yeah. So this was a a a movement class, and on Tuesdays we we were learning Laban, Mm -hmm. and that was with for every class we had to come in like dance tights mm-hmm. and like a tight tank top they had to be able to see our bodies so i'm already uncomfortable i'm like the prudest little like hasn't hasn't kissed a person like well that's not true because of the coming out story but <laughs> whoops um here i am thinking i was this childish prude and i'm actually like whoa yeah, like, uh, when i think about it i got around <laughs> <laughs> i was a slut yeah damn Yes, I did have a good time. You know what? Forget it. Bye. Yeah. This is great therapy. Thanks, guys. Uh, so we had a, 
monologue that we had to do for class. And it had to involve like three or four different steps from Laban. And I was the dummy who came into class having pulled a monologue out of a monologue book. <laughs> it was a monologue about breaking up with somebody. And it was like, I just need sleep. I have to go to bed. I don't get sleep when I'm with you. It was very like pro like mental health positivity for being 1997. <laughs> 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 the 1900s. It, oh, the mic glitch. <laughs> and at the end she goes, okay, who are you saying this to? And I was like, well, the, the person I'm breaking up with. And she goes, mm, who is that? First off, I wasn't even thinking that I'm about to be outed. I'm just thinking like, was I supposed to like have a backstory? She's like, well, who is it? And I was like, uh, I don't, I don't know. They're, they're, they're the partner I've been with for a couple of years. She goes, mm-hmm. boy or girl. <gasps> and I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. And she goes, boy, we all know it. Okay. Moving forward. And I was just like, oh my gosh, no, no. Yeah. Uh, and then I was an idiot to just be like, I guess that's what happens. And then continue to take other classes from her. Wow. But didn't she on like national coming out day wasn't she like happy national coming out day like didn't she do some oh, fuck. yes <laughs> it was like her personal goal was to pull him out of the closet <laughs> that's not what is well and i wasn't like kicking and screaming like my friends knew but it wasn't i wasn't in a place to be like this is who i am like yeah and it's not up to her to do yeah. that it's not up yeah. to anybody yikes i'm so sorry she did some mental uh things on some other kids there it's not yeah. great Having been going through therapies throughout this time, it's like the different traumas right. that I've like pinpointed. And I'm like, oh, crap, that was really bad. Mm -hmm. That was a bad thing that happened to me. Like, it's a good thing that our memories are crap. So I know I'm, I'm glad my memory's crap. So going back, your mom, it was a big time because you had just come out and she had said, I want a divorce from your mm -hmm. dad. And then what, what did you guys, how did it all happen after that <laughs> just a quick side note to button the divorce uh they had their like hearing their final whatever in front of the judge in Sevierville at Sevier County Courthouse uh back in Tennessee and my dad came up and said something like I, I hope that we can sit down and talk because you know your mom's side of the story is blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I was like I'm not interested we then go into the hearing room and they're going through, and, and the judge, I remember the judge, my two my two younger brothers weren't there. I was the only one that was like an, a quote-unquote adult. The judge was asking my dad something, like asking him to verify something about like the family, like something he should know. And my mom was like, he doesn't even know that his oldest son is gay. And I was just like, I swear to God, I swear to God. Can like, everybody just can shut you, up? Can you guys just leave me out of your mouths? <laughs> so that's apparently how my dad learned. And mm. I'm I'm just sitting in court and I'm like like waving a little hand like hi that's me <laughs> like I'm the little girl in Miracle on 34th Street and my mom has just dumped a bunch of letters from like Out Magazine on the on the ground um, <laughs> Santa Gay's real so my parents divorced and I mean it just really cemented my my bond with my mom further like I was an adult a young young adult but I was an adult when this was happening so. Mm. I was her confidant. She could tell me things. And we had always had a very open dialogue. She was never shy about talking about sex. In fact, she probably talked about it more than I ever wanted her to. <laughs> Once when I was in high school, she goes, this is before she knew, she said, if you ever want to have sex with a girl, you let me know and I will get you condoms and you can come home and you can use your bedroom and we'll all go in the, in the living room. Oh, wow. I was like, that's very progressive of you. I'm, I'm going to pass. <laughs> Appreciate the offer. <laughs> How awkward. Maybe rain check it in case you know I'm feeling a little crazy. <laughs> no, how awkward. Like in my head, I'm like, you come out, your hair is like matted down, and your family <laughs> is all like, How was it? Oh, we didn't hear. We put in earplugs. <laughs> or I'm just shouting from the back room, like, Can you get us some hot pockets? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's some like uncle or dad over in the corner going, That didn't take long. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> like, just, oh my god there's a lot of experiences you want your family there for but i don't think losing your virginity is one of them but you know i, I commend her on making sure that the communication with you was open oh, yeah. 
totally open. And still, I was was like, oh, I can't talk about my life and my sexuality. I mean, and the problem there was I didn't know what it all meant, so mm-hmm. I didn't have words to put together. But otherwise, I think I would have been able to talk to her much earlier about mm-hmm. it. So we just become very close. She then met and married my stepfather a few years later. That's a giant change in the, the makeup of the family that just a big change. <laughs> good. He was a good guy. We've jumped ahead. Now it's like 2007. Mm-hmm. And my mom and I had had a little bit of a rocky patch in the early 2000s. She'd been having trouble, uh, relationship trouble with my stepfather. Nothing abusive, nothing, you know, just feeling unseen and whatnot. And so they were having some fights and she would come to my apartment in Knoxville when I was still living there and she'd stay there for a weekend and then she'd go back. It was just a little nutty and a little like, girl, <laughs> gotta figure out what you're doing. <laughs> because I wanted to support her, but I was also like, I gotta have a life. I'm like, I'm starting to figure out who I am and exploring myself. And I was, I was feeling selfish, but then I was like, no, come and stay, come hang out. So they were having a rocky time and I was home for Christmas and was getting ready to head to her place to hang out and to see what was going on with the family. She called me and she was like, I, I don't even want to wait till you get here to talk to you about this. It's like, what is it? She told me, she said, I have cancer. Mm. I remember I was at one of the malls in town and I just sat down outside of a Sam Goody. And she said, I went to the doctor because she had actually, there was a weird sequence of events that happened. She had some numbness in her wrist that she couldn't explain. Hmm. And she had recently fallen asleep behind the wheel, just right outside of her neighborhood. Like she hadn't gone very far, but she had hit something and like scratched the car. So we're like, you need to go to the doctor and like figure out what's going on. They weren't even looking for cancer or anything. I don't even know what test that they did that they eventually came back and they said, we have really high markers for this and it's in your pancreas. Hmm. So some further tests and whatnot. And then they finally concluded that she was at that point, stage four pancreatic cancer. At this point in 2000, now it's 2008, Christmas has happened. We're all devastated. They said, well, your mom will probably have like two to five years. There are some people that get through it and, and survive for a long time, but the reality is probably two to five. So then it's like, okay, like my mind immediately went to, we have to figure out all the things we're going to do for the next five years. We have to cram everything we've ever wanted to do for the rest of our existence together into five years. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, It was eight months. She passed in August just after her 58th birthday. And to make matters harder, at the same time, I was in transition. I had been offered a job in New York. I was living in Alabama teaching there, but I had been offered a job in New York City Mm -hmm. doing theatrical marketing, which is what I had been wanting to do. So that spring of 2008, I went, I called my mom and I was like, I've been offered this thing in New York, but if I stay in Alabama, I can be at your place in four hours if I need to for anything. And she said, if you don't take the New York job, I will die and come back and haunt you. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, but no, 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 but I, I need to be around. She goes, you need to be doing what you are supposed to be doing. She's like, and this is where you're supposed to be going. If I had her, you know, crystal ball and was able to look at what she was looking at, knowing that I needed to go there, I would discover that in four years, I would meet the person that would become my husband while we were in New York. So she was like, no, you have to go. She's like, if you don't go, I'm going to be even more upset. And if I'm more upset, then I'm going to get sicker faster. And I'm just going to spiral out and it's going to be your fault. And I was like, Jesus, okay, I'll I'll go. I love the spin she put on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, she once got me a button that I I wore. In middle school, I had a denim jacket that was covered in buttons from, like, Spencer's. Some super inappropriate, but there were so many that people were like, I can't can't even read it. Just just go. Uh, But there was one that said, when it comes to guilt trips, I'm a frequent flyer. And she gave me (laughs) once. (laughs) So I do. I go to New York. I start at my job there in June, and I was coming home like every two weeks. What little money I scraped together, I was buying plane tickets like, okay, I'm going home. I'll be there Friday night through Monday morning, and that was just on repeat. Yeah. And that was without, I didn't even build up my vacation time at work yet. I was just like, this is what I have to do right now. And they were like, just do what you got to do, and we'll prorate it. I was supposed to be coming in for Labor Day weekend. 
and my cousins called. She says, you need to come now. Mm. Uh, my mom had been in and out of the hospital, and at this point, she was just in the hospital. So I hung up. I went to, to my boss, and I was like, I have to go. Um, my mom's dying. Mm. And he and the others, they all said, go. Don't worry about anything that's happening here. Just go. Call us when you can tell us something. Which was very generous, again, because <laughs> I had nothing built up. Right. I hadn't earned any of this time yet. Yeah. So I called Delta. I said, is there any way I can change this ticket that I have for Labor Day weekend and get something for tonight? Anything within the next, like, 10 hours. Can I get out of New York with that? They were like, oh, well, we don't really do bereavement uh, uh, services anymore. Yeah. We can sell you this ticket for tomorrow morning. It's $1,500. And I was like... I, God. How, how, how is that even a, a phrase that can come out of somebody's Yeah, like that's mouth? an option. That's not an option. That's not it's an like option. Extortion. Yeah. It, it might as yes. well be $10 million. It's like, is it more than five? Because I have $5. <laughs> um, <laughs> there wasn't anything that night for me to take anyway, so there was nothing I could do. You know, I felt helpless, but I also felt like I'm doing what I can. I'm going to get home. I'm going to figure this out. So the next morning, I went down to Delta had some sort of office east of Grand Central Station, I think. But I found it, and I went in there. But it, it's like a place to buy plane tickets, which is a weird thing to still have sitting in the middle of like New York City. It's like, who, who's going here? Me. I'm the person that went. There was a, an agent that worked with me and was able to get me a ticket for that day. I had to pay like a $100 change fee or something. I was like, oh, God, that's, that's fine. But I flew home, grabbed a rental car, and I just drove straight to the hospital. Uh, she was still awake, but not super alert. She was really decayed at this point. She had, uh, I mean, like I said at the beginning, she just shriveled up to just nothing but bones. I mean, I imagine that if you picked her up and it didn't hurt her, she may have weighed 60 pounds. Oh. But she had never lost her hair. She never lost any of that through her chemo treatments that she did, but it was also so quick. Yeah. Like this just hit and she, and the ending came so fast. And the thing that I should add that made it, that sort of multiplied its scariness was that my papa, her dad had died of pancreatic cancer in 1985. Mm -hmm. And his, I think was like three months from diagnosis to passing. So it's like, you start to tick off those mile markers, like, Okay, she made it past the three months. Yeah. Oh, she made it past mm -hmm. this. But somehow um, it will be different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We were just in this hospital room, and it's me and my brothers. Uh, my brother had uh, has <laughs> two kids that are now 17 and 18, but at the time they were basically zygotes that had bo booties on. I mean, they were so such babies. Mm -hmm. And my mom had said, like, if they have a memory of me, I don't want this to be it. Mm -hmm. She's like, I don't want the kids to come in. So it was all of the sort of adults in the family. We would take turns, like, I'm going to go down to the cafeteria and get something to eat and get a drink. And I feel like I would run down there and grab it and run back because mm -hmm. I was so worried. Like, I can't not be here when this happens. Yeah. At some point, right before it happened, my mom, at this point, now she was, like, barely talking. And you had to get really close, almost cup your ears around her mouth. So I leaned in, and she, she goes, and she grabbed just the collar of my shirt, and she goes, you need new clothes. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> like, she had said something to my baby brother and my middle brother. And they were they were sort of like, you know, weepy and like, I will, I promise, I'll do it. And to me, she's like, you need new clothes. And I was like, that's weird. Okay. Um, I don't know if you're seeing through the veil and there's something happening in the future that I need these for. But um, I will work on that. My aunt moved down. My aunt's nine years older than my mom. Their parents had passed away in 84 and 85. Mm. They had an older brother who passed away in 1960 at 22 mm. um, from, I never remember which it is, which is terrible for me, but non-Hodgkin's or Hodgkin's lymphoma mm -hmm. when my mom was only 10. So my amazing aunt is sort of like the last remaining, and she was in the center of all of this. Mm. But she leans down, and she's, she's telling her she, my mom's name was Debbie. My aunt Judy called her dad. She said, Dad, she's like, I'll take care of it. Whatever's left, I'll take care of it. You don't have to be afraid. You can let go. If it's time, you can just, you know, 
I'm here for the boys, I'm here for the grandbabies, and she said, we love you, and that was it, mm. and she was gone, mm. and my mom was a organ donor, so they, re- um, immediately they come in, Yeah. they gave us like a minute, we'll let you back in, but we're here to take her corneas, wow. and I mean, within five minutes, ten minutes of her being, of her passing, they were in and out, and we were back in the room, and she was still in the bed. She had, you know, just bandages over the eyes so that we didn't see anything. But right about that moment, the room filled with this smell of flowers. And my aunt and my cousin both were florists. They had a floral shop for years. And it was that exact smell of walking into their shop. Mm. Just this, like, pungent, beautiful, like, roses and all these, like, sweet scents and all of us there's probably like six of us in the room and we're all looking at each other like and my cousin kim jumped out into the hallway and stopped the nurse and said ma'am did a delivery of flowers just arrive somewhere and she said no they're not allowed on this floor Hmm. and just like that it was gone it didn't dissipate it was just gone and my aunt started crying she was like i think that was your mom just doing like a goodbye I was I was like I accept that we had her service about a week later she wanted to be cremated now were your were your mom and your stepdad still together at this point (laughs) to be determined they had been having their fights and I think my mom may have with the cancer may have been dealing with Mm -hmm. the cancer and the the chemo and everything I think she had been dealing with a little bit of disassociation or dementia Mm -hmm. which didn't help the like problems that they were having Chris had moved out and into a trailer that was just down the street so he could get over to her and be there never wavered on that he was like I'm here for you even when she was like get out of here like he's like well I'm not leaving you need help and it's not that she didn't appreciate it just something was something was not connecting yeah at one point she had called me while she was going through this chemo she said I just want you to know that Chris and I got divorced and I said what <laughs> wait like it's actually done she goes yeah i said that's like a a very long process what are you talking about <laughs> yeah mom you have maybe like a few months left and what she said oh no she said i just ripped up our marriage certificate and that makes it oh. i was like okay okay <laughs> okay sure <laughs> legally married yes in her brain maybe not yeah, <laughs> yeah. At that point, you're just like, I'm just gonna agree, and we can just mm-hmm. like, I don't want to cause you any angst or whatever. Right. You're just kind of riding the wave at that point. Yeah. It used to be that pancreatic cancer was just the death sentence, correct? Yeah. And my grandfather had it. My mom had it, and they're like, "Well, it's not hereditary." And I'm like, "Well, it's looking pretty hereditary <laughs> right now." It's like, yeah. You can tell me it's not hereditary, and they're like, "Well, but did either of them smoke?" Yes. Do you? No. Well, then calm down. It's like, uh. Yeah. Yeah. But I grew up around smoke. I have no doubt that my lungs have damage from, from that. Like, right. I, I was a kid of the 70s and 80s. Like, there was a lot of smoke. Yeah, in everybody house. smoked. Yep. But every time I bring it up, the doctors are always like, we'll, we'll check. We'll, we'll, we'll check. And I'm like, okay, well, you need to be scheduling that checking because. Right. Now I'm a little less, like, manic about it. But for a lot of years, I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. And it was like, oh, it happened to my. Papa in his 70s and he died in three months. It happened to my mom in her 50s. She died in eight months. I was like, I'm gonna, it's gonna get me in my 40s and I'll die in like a year and a half. That sense to be how the, this match <laughs> right. is working out. Right. We try to control even the, <laughs> yeah, the just bad what's the stuff. future. So <laughs> this does turn into some funny stuff <laughs> as, as things go on. We have my mom's service about a week later. I remember getting there to set up and I remember sitting in a pew and being sort of hysterical and sobbing. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember anything else that happened in it. None of it. I, I know that I got there, and i that's the first time I had received the urn mm-hmm. and felt it and had to carry it to put it on a pedestal and realized how heavy it was. Mm-hmm. And just sat there for a second and was like, I'm carrying everything that remains of my mom's body across this giant hall to put on a pedestal for people to come and stare at this urn that they can't see her, nor would they want to. Mm-hmm. Like, we know what's in there. And it was just all feeling very surreal. And then suddenly being seated and and 
sobbing and crying and people coming up and you may not remember me, but I knew. And it's like, I, it was very weird. I was both appreciative, but I was also like, please leave me alone. Like get away from me, which is not the, the attitude I wanted, but that's what I was feeling. Yeah. It feels like your grief is being put on display for everyone that's coming in. And it's a very odd thing that we do to Mm -hmm. put that up there because you know everyone is taking their cues off of off of the immediate family. Yeah. Your emotions are all over the place. Like I was incredibly combative with people Mm -hmm. when they'd be like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Well, so am I. When my mother passed away, I felt this incredible possession of her like Mm -hmm. she was mine and why like you're here and you're telling me what she meant to you but she was mine i don't know if you experienced i mean that's how that's the only way oh absolutely i have to say my cousin kim she's the eldest of the my generation kids in the Mm -hmm. family if it hadn't been for her i don't know how i would have survived the entire experience because as the oldest kid it would have fallen on me to like, okay, we have to go to the funeral home. We have to make these decisions. We have to do this stuff. And my cousin Kim saw that I couldn't do it. She saw that I completely broke. I was shattered. Without question, without anything, she said, okay, tomorrow we're going to actually funeral and we're going to do this. And then we're going to go look at this thing and we're going to get this. And everything was organized. And if I can ever recommend you give somebody something when they're grieving, Mm -hmm. give them the ability to not have to think about logistics yes. <laughs> give them the ability to not have to worry about what are they going to eat for dinner we're pretty good at that like we all bring casseroles and it's like oh here's eight trays of cornbread that i made <laughs> so the food's always appreciated but solving problems mm-hmm. is such a huge thing i would even go as far as to say too like the best gift you can give your kids is a pre-planned funeral i know it's 100%. morbid to talk about and nobody wants to have to think about that but it's a huge weight that is lifted off having watched my family go through it several times like it's just such a hard thing to plan out yeah well and matt's dad had that with matt's mom which was lucky yeah Yeah. they were able to sit down and talk through it and let me tell you that service changed multiple times (laughs) it's like (laughs) i want to do this thing and then she'd be like nah i've changed my mind i want this instead Mm -hmm. which it's like thank god like what how do you want to be celebrated Mm mm-hmm the other thing I remember is my my youngest brother bringing his kids in, and I see them coming, come walking in, and they ran up and they're like, Uncle Tommy. And I was like, hey, bud. Like, I look a wreck. They're too young to really know what's happening. They they know Mama, because that's what they called her. They said they knew Mama had died, and they knew Mama lived in heaven now. My stepdad had shared. But my stepdad had also driven my mom's car to the service, and it was a purple PT Cruiser. Oh, <laughs> So they were like, Mamma's back. We saw her car. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Did you, did <laughs> oh you bring God. me anything? Oh, God. And I think, I don't even remember what I, what I said or how I reacted. I, I think I might have just picked them up and handed them to somebody and been like, bye. Like, <laughs> like, um, That's too much. It's, it's too much. Yeah. I mean, because, like, they don't know. They have no concept of what that means. Like, heaven, that is that Tampa? Right. Mm-hmm. No, it's it definitely not Tampa. Because they're just, like, gone. And gone does not mean that they won't be coming back. Right. Mom and dad go to the store and they come back. Right. We had a luncheon right afterwards at the Pigeon Forge Cracker Barrel. Yes. <laughs> Which was nice. You know, it was just our, like, immediate family. My cousins, my brothers, uh, my aunt. And then my dad and his wife, who had come to the funeral. And that's what I was going to say with that sense of, like, she's mine. Why are you here? Right. I very much had that when they arrived. Mm-hmm. I didn't say anything. He had a relationship with her. He, oh, he, he can have whatever moment he needs for this. His wife, on the other hand, uh. not the best taste. <sighs> so we go to this lunch, and we're sitting at Cracker Barrel. And we've all sort of calmed down enough at this point to where we're just having, like, a murmured conversation. Like, everybody's like, how are you doing? What's going on? Mm-hmm. My dad's sitting across from me, and he says, oh, uh, I need you to do me a favor and call the Navy retirement offices because I need you to get your mom taken off of the thing so I can get my full retirement paycheck. Great. And I said, um, no. Yeah. And I said, no. It's not my job. 
now's not the time. Mm-hmm. And I was just in my head was like, was like, are you insane? <laughs> let's, let's pause for a couple of days before you come yeah. at me with like what I need. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then for about a year, a year and a half, almost two years, probably we didn't do anything with the ashes. Like we didn't know what to do. My stepdad had asked for a little bit of them. He had his own little urn that he had gotten from the funeral home. I just imagined when you said his own little urn and then you did this thing with your <laughs> hands, I imagined one of those oh. egg poachers. Sort do you of. know what I'm talking about? Like those little yeah. things, like, or like a little Fabergé egg just filled with ashes. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I went. That's almost exactly what oh, it was. Okay. It's very funny that that, yeah, those are very similar. It makes me like think about the kitchen aisle at uh, Target very differently. <laughs> Um, <laughs> look at all these little urns look at all these little <laughs> ash holders think about how many people we could get in mixing bowls right. um, <laughs> it's like very weird. oh and they have a pestle and mortar oh. um, no it was <laughs> that'd well, be good for Jen she came out a little chunky so my aunt had this opportunity she was invited to her god 50th or 60th high school reunion back in indiana my papa was an air force uh, officer so they had all my mom and her siblings had moved around as well and the majority of my aunts growing up was in indiana before they became tennessee people so she calls me and she says hey do you want to go with me to my high school reunion if anybody who is of 70 or older age invites you to go to a high school reunion you say yes <laughs> because it's going to be the funniest, craziest, <laughs> wildest time. And because it's my aunt, and she's just this silly, sarcastic. I mean, she is my mother in so many ways without be- having the like sternness of a parent. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. And my cousin Teresa came with us. She was going to be mostly our, <laughs> mostly our driver, um, but just to go and celebrate with us. And my aunt said, would you like to use this as a chance to take care of your mom's ashes, which we've talked about, like eventually scattering some in Tennessee. She has a plot there with my mama. She's like, we could scatter some there and then we could take some up to Indiana where my papa and my mom's older brother who died in 1960 have stones. And I was like, yeah, that sounds perfect. It sounds like this is what we're supposed to do. We went up to Indiana together. We went to the reunion. We get to go to this reunion, which was just amazing. Um, my aunt and I totally cheated at a trivia game because nobody had iPhones. I did. Everybody had like flip phones. So they're like trying to cheat and find stuff, but they couldn't get on the internet. And I was like, <laughs> it's this answer. I mean, it's stuff that she probably knew anyway. And the next day we went out and to the cemetery where my papa and my great uncle or my uncle are. And it's a perfectly clear day. It's blue sky. There's no clouds. There's no wind. There's no nothing. My cousin Teresa is she's filming us. She's got her can- handy cam. We go to the st- uh, stones where they are. I've got the urn still carrying this like heavy, heavy urn. We open it. I undo the bag. You know, we just sort of talk to my mom for a minute. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about how much we miss her. How we hope that wherever she is, whatever her energy has become that she's able to pop in and check on us sometimes, which I think absolutely happens if you want to talk about that in a few. And then I started to scatter them. But immediately as I did it, a wind blew from literally out of nowhere. And the ashes, I I remember, I saw it in slow motion, the ashes, which should have just like caught the wind and flew off, blew back at my face and in my mouth. Oh my God. And I can't scream because I can't change the shape of my mouth to make the kind of noise I want because I don't want to swallow any of these ashes (laughs) because we're trying to release my mother. (laughs) And not that there's any superstition to it, but part of me is like, release the body, like let the body go back to wherever it, whatever part of earth it needs to be. Like, I don't want it trapped. I don't want like a flake of it to be trapped somewhere. And that mean like, I don't know, she's trapped in a dungeon in some other dimension. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. We had all been sobbing and now we're all, I'm still sobbing. And, but I'm also like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. 
and my cousin Teresa runs to the car. She gets a bottle of water. She comes over, and I'm I've turned my head to the side, and I'm literally just pouring water over my mouth, yeah. trying to get stuff to run out from the bottom so I don't drink it. Oh my gosh! And once I get what I think is most of it out, I then do another drink and I swish. Now I'm like swishing my mother's ashes around. <laughs> Um, and it doesn't taste good. <laughs> I give it two stars. I do not recommend consuming a dead parrot. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, it's, it's the memory of the taste is the way that dust smells when it comes, when you empty a vacuum bag. Mm, okay. okay. Um. Uh, this is like the big Lebowski, but like actually oh far more intense. <laughs> it w- oh my gosh. And pl- plus she's like on my shirt. I'm wearing black. Mm. You know, it's summer in Indiana mm. and I'm this, I'm in mourning. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm sweating to death and now I've got these on me. It, it, yeah. It's so gross, but we have a huge laugh about it. My aunt says she did that on purpose. She told mm. you to get new clothes. Show me to get new clothes. And I was wearing something old. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, Ugh. And then we get back home to Tennessee and we're going to scatter the rest at, at the Pigeon Forge Cemetery. And then we're going to bury the urn because my mom has her stone. I didn't know that you're supposed to ask about burying something on a cemetery. We already have it. And there's nobody there to ask. There's no like office. Right. But I did found out, find out later that it is illegal to dig up your own property on a, in a cemetery. Yeah. Luckily, we did this in, at dusk, <laughs> so we got away with it. If you ever get a chance to go to Pigeon Forge, it's just a strip through the mountains of, like, carnival rides. If you get to the center of town and you look to the right and you look up, because it's a valley, that's the Pigeon Forge Cemetery. It's on a bluff overlooking everything. Hmm. So I don't know how many tens of thousands of tourists saw us up there, like, digging at dusk in the cemetery. Um, They're like, but we were. fucking rednecks are <laughs> digging up a body. Judy, Kim are with the, my aunt and my cousin. My brothers are there. My my niece and nephew, my, my brother's little ones are there. We were just digging this thing and we buried the, the urn and, and put it away and, and that was that. But it's been so interesting. The aftermath, I think, is the stuff that you can't prepare for that's the exact word i was about to ask you how was the aftermath now there is no more there's nothing physical Mm -hmm. that still exists finality sets in that you're like Mm -hmm. oh i thought this was real already but now it's yeah it's a lot to hold and there's nothing that's still she doesn't she's not there anymore but you're holding everything because we want to hold space for that person Mm mm-hmm you know, like I've said, I think in a previous episode, there's a vacuum that's created. Mm-hmm. There's an empty space where that person was. I just, before we go on, I wanted to ask, both of your mothers passed away from cancer. And then my mother had a disease that kind of ravaged her body as well. Did you find it hard to, especially in the beginning, I, I noticed this, I couldn't remember my mother not sick for a mm-hmm. while. Mm-hmm. Did you have that? Yes. And the same mm-hmm. with my father. Yeah, but that that fades. It does. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had to almost rewind my memories to mm-hmm. like childhood mom. Yes. The part that was harder to remember was adult mom pre sick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My brain was different. Yeah. Like you see people differently in different stages, and that that pre sick adult part was the part that sort of was like scrubbed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the part that I wish I could remember more. And not that I don't remember it, it's just, it's not present. It doesn't come to the front yeah. the way that some of the other stuff does. I think about my mom now, and I think about, like, the fun stuff we did as, when I was a kid. Or, like, when she had, <laughs> when she would take me to work, when she worked at a Holiday Inn up in Groton, Connecticut in 1981. Whatever year The Shining came out. <laughs> and that, they took me to go see, apparently. Because it scarred me for my entire life. <laughs> but... This is right. That when she was taking me to work with her at the Holiday Inn, uh, she would let me bring my big wheel because one wing wasn't used during the winter. And so I literally rode my big wheel around, and then she takes me to this movie. <laughs> and you know what I didn't want to do anymore? That. Any of that. <laughs> From then on, I was just like, I'm going to stay behind the counter and sit on the floor with you. She was like, okay. 
Maybe she planned yeah. that. <laughs> oh, 100%. Uh, yeah. How long after you buried, illegally buried her urn, did you return to New York? I was, I was back just a couple of days after that. You know, after the funeral, I took about probably no more than a week and was back at the office back in New York. And it was very weird because that whole time up until then, every single day that I'd been in New York, when I moved there after she got diagnosed to the point that she was gone, we talked on the phone every single day, yeah. every morning, because I was so nervous about getting to work on time. I left ridiculously early because I could never predict the train. So I would usually have like 30 minutes once I got off the train before work started. And so mm -hmm. I would sit in like Penn Plaza and call her and she'd ask me about New York and we would talk about the things she was going to do, you know, if she got through this. There was one, uh, I was invited to Hair when Hair came back to Broadway. I was invited to their final dress. And Hair was a show that, again, my mother being like post-hippie mm -hmm. was obsessed with. She had passed at this point. But where I worked, we would often get invited to shows because we were then trying to build audience for, the, for those. So I got invited to Hair arrive we're not assigning seats we know how many of you there are just go grab so i went uh and one of my friends from work went with me and i said god you know i had talked to my mom about hair coming back to broadway and how she was so excited to try to come see it and she never got the chance and i said she's here you know she's here she's with you i mean you are 50 percent of her like she's here mm -hmm. yes i get it i hear all that does it make me feel better no right i want her here i want to see her and i want to like hold like it's different being like yeah well there's probably rats in my basement but i don't see them <laughs> like, right <laughs> we went to the mezzanine because the, the bottom was full and we found two seats on an aisle and there were a couple more seats in with us and a lot of people filled in but there kept being this empty seat on my right hmm. and they had ushers coming around any any extra room they're just trying to like pack people in they're like next room and I was like I was literally like there's a seat here and nobody would acknowledge it hmm. it was the weirdest thing nobody would acknowledge the seat was empty and I turned to my friend Sarah and I was like what the hell and she goes I told you your mom's here hmm. I honestly I think she was I don't have any other way to explain it I don't know if people couldn't see that seat if they looked and they saw somebody sitting in that seat but yeah just what a weird little like I love I know, that. visitation oh that's awesome it took a while before I had one, but I started having periodic dreams about my mom yeah. after she had passed. And they were so strange because it was always like, wait, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to be here anymore. And the most vivid that I remember was the very first one. And I was at my aunt's house, which had been my mamma's house, which my mom had grown up in. And there was a knock at the door and I was the only one there. And I opened it and my mom was at the door. Mm. And I exactly what I just said I was like oh my god like what you're not you're not here she goes I'm here she said but just for a few minutes I said do you want to come in she goes I can't she actually said I'm not allowed huh. I said but I don't understand like what does that mean she was like I just wanted to say hi and say I love you and I'll check on you hmm. and I said okay and then I woke up and I was, and it was so vivid. I literally thought I might wake up at my aunt's house. Yeah. And that's happened a couple of times. These sort of like dream visitations, which. They feel very different. I've had with both my parents dreams that I was like, okay, I'm processing something. That was definitely mm -hmm. a dream. And then there's ones where I was like, wait a minute. That mm -hmm. felt like they were here. I felt them touch my shoulder. I heard their voice in my ear. Like it was. Dream visitation is the right phrase for that. It just mm -hmm. feels different. It's hard to explain. It never feels like you're in your own dream. It feels like yes, like maybe you've been plucked out. Yeah, because you're lucid enough to know that you're asleep. Yeah. But you're seeing them and you're hearing them. It's almost like they've transferred you. You know that that's not possible. Like right. You're very confused. You're like, what? And it happens every time. Every yeah. time he comes back in a in a dream visitation. It only lasts for a few seconds, and it's only for like a quick like, hey there, you're doing good. How does she look in your dream? She looks like when I was, she looks healthy. She looks yeah. like when I was in high school, you know, mm -hmm. that's sort of like her prime. Yeah. And that's how I want want her to be. Like, mm -hmm. 
I just think like you hear ghost stories about these horrid ghosts that look like the thing that killed me. It's like, ew, if I'm going to be an energy, let me at least be like the coolest version of myself. Yeah. <laughs> when was I my best? Yeah. I don't want to be shriveled. I don't want to be, you know. I think about that sometimes when I put on an outfit that's uncomfortable. And I'm like, I, oh I don't want to die in this because mm -hmm. this will be what I wear for eternity. <laughs> yeah. I'll just stop buying turtlenecks completely. <laughs> no more turtlenecks. No more. Just a dick. <laughs> God, we had a guy come in today at the morgue and he had a dick. dick on. I couldn't believe that. So, Tommy, you're in New York and time is going by and you, you meet your husband. Yeah. Met Nat in 2012, just four years later. Yeah. And one of the very first conversations we had was about my mom and about how amazing she was. And the Christmas that my mom passed, I went through and got all, because I sort of became the collector of, of family sort of heirloom things. Some of, I mean, my brothers got certain things too, but my, she sort of left me with like, you're the record keeper. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Oh, well, what a what a lovely responsibility and onus you have laid upon me. <laughs> um, but I went through and scanned a bunch of pictures and did one of those, like, order a book online. But I had basically done, like, her life story in, like, 28 pages with different pictures. And I sent one to each of my brothers and to my aunt. That was a Christmas of crying. Um, I actually brought it up with me because I just, I needed, I wanted it to be present. Mm -hmm. I know that your viewers won't see it, but I'll just show. Oh, look at her. Well, the funny thing is I did this in 2008. And when I met Matt, one of the first gifts I ever gave him was a book that I had put together of our own pictures. I took these pictures and I made a book and it was sort of like the story of us. Yeah. And then I took that same thing, idea, and when I was wanted to ask Matt to marry me, I made another book that was essentially like an illustrated children's fairy tale version wow. of our dating yeah. that ended on the last page with, and he asked for his hand in marriage <gasps> and a drawing of a ring. Oh, wow. That's romantic. It was adorable. Thanks. That is so great. It really was. Well, and I thought all of that artistic side of me came from my mom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She had always wanted to be an artist. She, like me, were both sort of free-spirited and sort of anti-authoritarian and like, just the adventures that she had. And that's the thing that I hope that people, like myself included, but my, my brothers and my aunt share their stories with my niece and nephew yeah. and the other people that come after us because she just needs to be recognized. She did so much for everybody in the family. She took care of everybody. You know, She put everything aside that she wanted in order for everybody else to do something. And to give you a, a, a taste of the kind of fun my mom liked to have. She and my stepdad opened this barbecue restaurant in this old like service station. No pumps or anything, but not on any sort of city water. I was like, this is a questionable idea. And they're like, it's going to be great. And it's like, ooh. But my mom, uh, they had had to have the, the county health inspector come out and test the water before they could do any sort of restauranting. Keep in mind, neither had any experience in restaurant work. Mm, interesting idea. Yeah, like middle-aged, just be like, you know what? Let's just chuck caution to the wind. So we had, they had the health inspector come out, and she had me call my stepdad on the restaurant phone and pretend that I was the inspector and to reveal the results of the test. And this is what she had me say. Hi, this is the county health inspector. I just got the reports back on your water. It looks like there uh, is indication that you might have uh, underground Appalachian monkeys because we have found Appalachian monkey feces in your water system. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, those Appalachian water monkeys, man. They are. Those, yeah, those underground oh. Appalachian. Worst news you can get as a business owner. <laughs> and my stepdad was like, oh my God, what do we do? And I said, well, you can get these filters and you can put it in your thing or you can get this kind of pump, blah, blah, blah. I said, but you'll have to do that before you can get this fixed. And he goes, I got I, I to gotta go talk to my wife. And he hung up. So I never got a chance to say it was a trick. <laughs> and so he goes to my mom and he's like, they just found this. And she's like, oh, my God, I've heard all about those. She keeps it going. Like, she just ran. And for like a week, he's like, 
He's like, I didn't even know there were monkeys underneath the Appalachian Mountains. <laughs> like, oh my god, oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, I mean, I was probably much more of a prankster before. Uh, Matt, uh, when we got together, he said, "Just so you know, if you try to prank me, I come back much harder." And I was like, "Okay, so you're off limits, and I'm gonna." move pranks to other people <laughs> our friendship was based on pranks the group of us that that hung out together in college like we just did stupid i mean everybody has that group but like yeah we spent so much time scaring ourselves too like one weekend we played with a ouija board one weekend we <laughs> never actually went in but drove up to an abandoned insane asylum like oh but we gosh. got so freaked out we couldn't even go in like it's like a series of dares we had this friend pretty much uh, yeah. stephanie who Shout yeah out. if she's listening i don't know how she made it through college without being in a straitjacket, having tommy and i as friends because we did so <laughs> many horrible pranks one of my favorite things to do was to run into a room right behind her and turn the lights off and slam the door so she oh, thought God. that I had locked her in the room by herself, <laughs> and when she would come to the door to turn on the lights, I would grab her. <laughs> I got to tell you, if we were friends, we would not be friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part about having, like, a kooky mom. Like, yeah. she, if she thought something was unjust, she spoke up. And when, when I did come out, it took her a second to adjust, but she was never like, I don't like this. I don't, you know, she was very, like, okay. Let's figure out how to make this the healthiest, happiest life for you. Yeah. I wanted to, because how we started this was your husband's mother yeah. died. Mm -hmm. And then his mother dies of cancer. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how was that yeah. journey for you? It's, it's hard because, you know, she was the next mom. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, I sort of jokingly like, God, I just can't keep a mom. Like, <laughs> what did I do? Um, I and I know mom. that's not the case, but it, it just makes, it just yeah. adds some levity to it. It's interesting to, to both experience it and then to watch it affecting somebody from the outside. Yes. Because I didn't have any perspective mm -hmm. from the outside when it happened to me. And for a little while, I would, you know, give Matt, like, heads ups, like, when this happens, this kind of thing might hurt, or mm -hmm. this is what I experience. And that was helpful for a little while until one day he was like, I don't think I can even imagine it until it's uh, happened yeah. to me. So the prep isn't helpful. It's just scaring yeah, me. I get that. As soon as he said that, I was like, oh, okay, I can change. Like, I can just be. Yeah. And just recognizing that, like, how do we talk about the bad shit that's coming without paralyzing somebody? Yes. Um, to be helpful. Or how do we just sit back and say, I'm here. And that was such a hard lesson because you want to, to help. You want to, like, put up a blockade and protect them from these things that are coming. Yeah. And you know you can't. You know that there's nothing that you can say that's going to stop them from feeling what's going to be coming. How long ago did Matt's mom pass away? Uh, just about a month. <gasps> oh, my so gosh. Very, yeah, it's very fresh. Oh, wow. Um, I'm so sorry. You know, she'd been battling this for since 2017. That's a long so time. In some ways, I'm glad. In some way, oh, this sounds so morbid. In some ways, I'm glad that my mom's time was short. Yes, we we talk about that a lot. Yeah, yeah. She didn't have to to suffer because Matt's mom really did, and that was the hardest part. It's like, just let her let her go, let her be, let her turn into energy or magic or whatever happens. Yeah. yeah. And I think the thing that shook everybody the hardest when she passed were the death counts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't remember them mm. from the time before until I heard them. And then all of a sudden, it was like it was like they were hiding behind a screen for all these years, and they just poked mm -hmm. through. It sounds so like cinematic or like novel, like, oh, the death rattles. But I mean, that's what it is. And that sound is so awful, and it sounds like the person is in so much pain. Yes. And they're not. No. As far as doctors know, mm -hmm. it's just part of that process. But yeah, that, that night, you know, once she was gone and it's like 3.30 in the morning and they had come, yelled for us to come upstairs because they could tell it was sharp. And the hospice nurse got there, but not until after she had passed. Mm -hmm. My sweet sister-in-law, my younger sister-in-law, she was there with us and the death rattles really 
that was not her fault. She was asking for some help. She did hurt. Mm -hmm. She just wanted to know if her mom knew her. Mm -hmm. I'm too sure that she said no. She didn't have it because it is. She didn't feel any of it. Yeah. She's like, she's probably not even going to be present for the last week of her life. Mm -hmm. This is just mechanical. Yes, the body's shutting down. My moms weren't as pronounced. I think she had been sort of ravaged very quickly, so she was very, very weak. So her body just couldn't do much. But there, were, you heard it faintly. You heard it was more like a grasp of her air more than a rattle. And it was just gone. Yeah. And as hard as it is, I think what a what a gift to be present and holding the hand of a parent. Yeah. They brought us here. The least we could do is help them cross. It's um, yeah. it's beautiful. Will used this phrase in his episode where he said, "It's such exquisite pain," and I think that it is. Like you said, it's a beautiful thing to be there for them and to help that cross. Yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, just to be able to talk and to calm them. Mm-hmm. I think we should probably try to wrap this up. But we always ask, what are you grateful for right now in this moment? I am grateful that I had those two women Mm. really build me and guide me. Even in my 30s and 40s with Matt's mom. Sure. Yeah. They both shepherded me to who I am. Either their genes or their personality or their likes and interests, I carried those. And even though I only got to have 33 years with her, I am so glad that that was my mom. 